I play defense against an actual sovereign nation state military. That's crazy. Do you realize yeah. how crazy that is? It's truly nuts. Yeah. That's totally crazy. What I do for a living is absolutely <laughs> insane. Why is this even a thing? Like yeah. there used to be borders and, and like the actual military would defend you against foreign countries, <laughs> but they don't. Hey everybody, Tanner here with Wagner Ventures. On today's episode, we have JM Cora, Chief Information Security Officer at Ava Labs. For anyone who's new, this is the Wagner Ventures podcast, where we do snapshots with interesting builders and founders from across Web3. Check out wagnerventures.io to learn more about the syndicate behind the podcast. But for now, let's get into it with JM at Ava Labs. All right, hey everybody, I'm here today with JM Cora. CISO at Ava Labs here in a personal capacity to talk about Web3 and security. JM, what's up? How are you doing today? You know, it's a Tuesday. What can I tell you? Yep, I hear you. Well, it's going to be a good Tuesday to talk about Web3 and security. I'm really excited to chat. And, you know, maybe just to start, if you could tell us a little bit about kind of your background with information security as a field, and maybe just how did you end up in Web3 in general? Like, what's your kind of crypto story? Maybe we could Uh, start there. Sure. I've been in cybersecurity for more than 20 years. I've worked as a developer, as a sysadmin, as a consultant, as a journalist for a while, did a master's degree. I used to work for a different Web3 company before this one, and now I work for Ava Labs. Perfect. So you're kind of the CISO's CISO with all those different hats in the space. I think my first question would be, you know, how does the job of cybersecurity change in a Web 2 world versus a Web 3 world? Or are they similar enough to be kind of called similar problems, different, you know, maybe different veneer, but same problems? It's the same problem, only a thousand times more difficult. Let me paint to you a pretty normal Web 2.0 cybersecurity problem space. You are a company, you're collecting PII, you're B2C, lots of e-commerce platforms out there. You've got 50 million social security numbers or credit card numbers. And your worst case scenario, your nightmare is a data breach. All of a sudden, a hacker breaks into your systems, copies all of those records of PII and dumps it on the internet. What happens next? Well, there's some bad PR and maybe in three or four years, there'll be a regulatory slap on the wrist with a tiny fine. You're going to have a class action lawsuit where the claimants get $15.35 each. The CEO is going to get a bonus that year. Basically, nothing's going to happen. In Web3, if North Korea hacks you and steals all of your money, then you're bankrupt. So, so, I mean, the the difference is that, you know, we're talking about the security of real money. Uh, I would say, you know, the overused metaphor in Web 2 is that data is the new oil. I'm sure you've all heard that before. It's kind of trite and hackneyed and over. Um, But if we accept that metaphor, which I think there's lots of caveats to be had there, but if data is the new oil, then crypto is the new gold. Well, it turns out that when you're sitting on a gigantic mountain of gold, uh, people try to come and take it away from you. And when they take it away from you, you don't have it anymore. And that means the job of securing cryptocurrency at any level of the playing field, you know, like I work for layer one, but if you're working for a crypto exchange, let's talk about Mt. Gox. Like, you know, we all remember Mount Gox, or I hope we do, or the gazillion DeFi hacks over the last 24 months. Like, that money's not coming back. 
the people who stole it, they're keeping it. You're bankrupt sometimes after one of these hacks. And that's a very different threat landscape to be working in compared to traditional Web 2.0 security. Fascinating. Yeah. So, you know, in our email correspondence, kind of coordinating this chat, you had mentioned North Korea in that conversation, too. And so it's one of the things I wanted to touch on to get more of a broader take on, you know, can you give us a fuller perspective on what's happening there? I think the language you used was that there's kind of an all out war from North Korea towards Web3. And I think it might be an interesting route to go down to learn a little bit more of what's actually happening there. Yeah, I wouldn't call it an all-out war, but it is a, a war. And any conversation about Web 3.0 cybersecurity is incomplete without some discussion of North Korea. You know, it, it is a matter of fact that the North Korean military um, attacks any company or individual they can and steals crypto whenever they can. They do so not for the money, but for the geopolitical power. What does North Korea want? North Korea wants to build or buy nuclear weapons. So North Korea is hacking crypto companies to buy crypto, to launder it, to purchase nuclear weapons parts. And the bottom line is this is a fact. And what makes this so different than, you know, many other fields is that if you're dealing with a criminal in most parts of the world, you have access to the police the FBI, Interpol, put out a red notice. Uh, but people in North Korea don't leave North Korea. You know, how does that conversation go? Hello, Pyongyang Police Department. I'd like to file a complaint. You as a sovereign nation state, your military <laughs> stole some money from me. I want it back. How is right, that right, right. What do you, you know, like you can grab, you know, Russian hackers when they're on the beach in Greece or Turkey, but North, the North Korean hackers don't leave North Korea. They're, they're, you know, what are you going to do? And th this is, you know, and the U.S. government, the South Korean government, Interpol are aware of the issue and they're doing what they can. But to a large extent, you know, North Korea can keep trying and they can get away with it and they do get away with it. Yeah, it's wild. I think it, I didn't realize, I think, the extent to which it was such an issue and so kind of attributable to North Korea. So, you know, a related question maybe is or not related, sorry, slightly different question. I think I'm curious about, you know, as you've been in the space, as things have evolved, how has security within Web3 evolved, maybe first from a personal perspective, and then also given kind of your CISO roles from an institutional or organizational perspective, how has thinking about security had to evolve as the hackers have evolved, as the types of hacks have evolved, et cetera? Well, there is a certain amount of Darwinism involved here. The companies that get it, and do cybersecurity well tend to survive. The ones that, you know, YOLO into their new DeFi protocol without, you know, proper due diligence tend to get wiped off the face of the earth. And uh, I guess my, my, my sincerest hope is that new entrants to the market look at the, you know, scattered corpses of previous failures and don't repeat those mistakes. I mean, it got to a point in 2022 where there were so many hacks. I had people tell me, you know, we're not even writing about it anymore. Like, I, I, I don't have enough space in my infinite space blog for every single crypto <laughs> hack. There's so many, you know. My greatest fear is that, you know, there's these new startups. Like, I meet startups sometimes and I ask them, what's your cybersecurity plan in Web3? And they're like, cybersecurity? And it's just a massive facepalm moment, man. I'm just like, oh, my God, please yeah. don't, 
repeat history. Yeah, it does seem like, you know, there's kind of one narrative about, you know, how bear markets kind of flood out certain actors. They kind of go out with the tide, right? But it does seem maybe, I'm curious if you'd agree with this, it seems maybe like there also might be some kind of institutional knowledge or some awareness that like, hey, you know, there's all these lessons from this kind of graveyard of these projects from this particular cycle that, you know, I I wonder about the continuity of those lessons from cycle to cycle, how that's being imparted, if people are really kind of taking seriously how dramatic certain episodes were for certain projects, etc. Look, Risk is just a hard thing. Human beings do not intuitively understand risk. If I tell you, Tanner, there's a bear behind you. It wants to eat you. You're going to run away. And you're not going to think about it deeply. You're like, oh, my God, there's a bear. It wants to eat me. I'm going to run or (laughs) climb a tree or do something so it doesn't eat me. And, And, you know, this is something almost genetic because for, I don't know, hundreds of thousands or millions of years, bears ate people. And we realized, stay away from bears. But cybersecurity, it's this hand-wavy, invisible things are going to make you go bankrupt. Ooh, you know? And it's hard for people to, especially less technical people, to fully wrap their minds around the severity of the risk, especially when you're operating in a highly volatile, high-risk business where there's like legitimate business and regulatory risks that also have legitimate claims on business leadership. You know, like you actually have to make money if you go bankrupt because nobody uses your service. Well, that's also an existential risk to your business. And who cares about North Korea? Like you actually have to have money to steal before somebody wants to steal it. But I mean, I just don't know, man. Like trying to help people broadly at scale across the entire Web3 vertical really understand the severity of the problem is frustrating sometimes. Yeah, I can imagine. So related, you have this kind of great Twitter thread where you say the quote was basically any CISO who tells you they can prevent hacks is a fraud. That's like saying you can prevent cancer. You can't. You can only reduce the risk with diet, exercise, etc. And so as I was thinking about this, it was, you know, I appreciate that that's a very real genuine take on being a CISO in Web3. And so I think my question was kind of multifaceted. It was one, you know, can you expand on what you meant there and unpack two, maybe like, how do you, what, what is the equivalent of diet and exercise for Web3 for any projects out there listening? Like, what are the basics that they should be thinking about? That is a really great question. Yeah, I would 100% double down on that tweet and not just in Web3, but in Web2 as well. You you know, like cybersecurity leadership is about risk management, not risk elimination. Like you would not go to your general counsel and say, promise me nobody ever sues us. I mean, any (laughs) lawyer in their right mind would be like, are you insane? Right, right, right. Promise me the regulators never fine us. I mean, that would be (laughs) You go to your CFO, promise me no macroeconomic events are ever going to touch our company. I mean, the guy's going to be like, are you crazy? Uh, I once had a job interview many years ago where where the guy was like, I'm hiring somebody to build a wall and keep the hackers out, 100%. And I was like, okay, bye, because that's not (laughs) realistic. Like, you know, I have a limited budget of money and time that belongs to my employer or whoever I work for. And my job is to serve them to keep that risk as low as possible to the risk tolerance of the CEO and board of directors, you know? And and I think that's the appropriate place for a CISO in any enterprise, not just Web3. It's about managing risk, not eliminating risk, you know, because you hit this 
exponential, almost straight up vertical curve where I spend more and more money and get less and less return on my investment. I could spend every penny my employer has and never reach 100% security. And that doesn't serve my employer. They're a business. We're in a capitalist society. They're here to make money. My job is to support them to make money, whoever I work for. You know what I mean? So, So what are some basics web three companies can do. You know, I don't have it in front of me, but there was the new rect test that came out last week. It's it's inspired by the Joel test for good software development. And last week, a consortium of a bunch of very well-known security companies like Trail of Bits and others published a, a document. Let me see if I can pull it up while we're on this call called the rect test, R-E-C-R-E-K-T test. And it was like, these are the things that we think are like the bare minimum due diligence for a Web3 project. Here, I'm pulling up the Trail of Bits blog. I thought this was actually really good. Like, it's kind of dry. We don't need to get drilled into the details. I would encourage listeners to Google it, R-E-K-T, the rec test. And it's like, this is some basic high-level things that you should be doing to, you know, and you can do any of these 12 things in greater and greater detail and make them better and better. But you should be asking yourself, are you doing it at a bare minimum level of each of these 12 things? And if you're not, maybe you should take a step back before you, you know, gung-ho further your business in the DeFi space. Yep. Yep. Super interesting. I think that's a great resource too. I hope people check that out. So, you know, moving forward here, you had a recent Substack post titled Living in a Fog. And you kind of, <laughs> I think it's it would be a reiteration to kind of go into a ton of detail about it of things you've already said here. But just this picture of a lot of anxiety and kind of the cybersecurity landscape being pretty riddled with uncertainty, right? My two favorite quotes were, you know, one, it's like fighting Mike Tyson blindfolded. <laughs> and then two, your strategy must even include the ability to take losses and even lose battles in order to win the war. And so... I'm I'm wondering if you could maybe elaborate on those thoughts kind of in context of what you've shared already about kind of how, you know, there there is some gravitas here. There are stakes. This is not uh, a joke that these risks are real. So in light of that, how would you kind of narrate that piece in those quotes? Yeah, well, well look, I mean, th- there are known risks in cybersecurity, and, and these are relatively easily addressable with money and time. But then there's the, you know, I, I don't like sounding like a distant echo of Donald Rumsfeld, but, you know, there's the known risks and the known unknown risks and the unknown risks. And, yep. you know, whatever you think about Donald's Rum- Donald Rumsfeld, you know, like, like th- these are relevant things to call out when you're in a... You know, you know, I play defense against an actual sovereign nation state military. That's crazy. Do you realize how crazy that is? It's truly nuts. Yeah, that's totally crazy. What I do for a living is absolutely (laughs) insane. Why is this even a thing? Like there used to be borders and and like the actual military would defend you against foreign countries, but (laughs) they don't. Yeah. So I have to, it's just insane, man. It's totally insane, but it's the way like we want to be sovereign individuals in Web3. Well, be your own bank. Being your sovereign individual means like you don't get the protection of the actual government. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And this yeah. comes at a huge cost. So I'm just overwhelmed, man. Well, what was your question again? I forget. 
<laughs> I think you answered it. It was just kind of commenting on the gravity of the situation kind of through the lens of those quotes from your piece. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like from what you've shared so far, it sounds like maybe the biggest, you know, practical issue here is not strictly that there's not technical ability to combat the hackers or defend the hackers, right? It sounds like, you know, uh, we haven't touched on the technical aspect too much. And I do have questions about that. You know, like, is it, is it a technical problem? What am I trying to say here? I think my question is really, you know, it sounds like just even mustering the will to take these things seriously and do what needs to be done to even deploy technology we may already have seems like almost the first battle for a CISO, right? And then second is like, how do you actually defend, right? How do you think about that? Yeah, look, I mean, the fundamental question in cybersecurity is not technical, it is financial. Security is a function of finance. Let me give you a really easy example to tell you what I mean. Let's say you own a famous painting worth $10 million. Are you going to spend $10 million to secure a painting worth $10 million? I mean, clearly this makes no sense, no. right? The, the, the amount of money you spend on security has to be proportionate to the thing that you're securing. And, you know, make no mistake, security, good security is really expensive, really, really expensive. And so, you know, you're the CEO, you've got your startup, and you're like, holy cow, that's a lot of money. Maybe I'll just accept the risk. You know, let's just roll the dice and see how we yep. go. You know, like it, I, I'm sympathetic because doing the right security stuff, like especially the basics, I mean, let's not even talk about the advanced stuff. Like if you don't do the basics first, your money is wasted on the advanced stuff. And like the road to minimum maturity and security is, is hard and it's expensive, but it's not rocket science. Like any competent security person like me can tell you how to get there. But holy cow, is it going to cost you a lot of money? Yep. That's really, you know, I, I do appreciate the candor in this because I, I do wonder if people may not know uh, that idea, really, just that, you know, it's not like it's not a solvable problem. It's mostly just an expensive problem after a certain point. Right. So I think that's actually really valuable, candid advice there. So I want to take a step back a little bit and just ask you, you know, trend line for security in Web3, are we getting better at all? Are people learning any lessons or is it getting worse. You know, 2022, I think it was Chainalysis that had said like 3.8 billion that they recorded last year, 2022 hacks from crypto. Who, you know, I'm trusting that's accurate. It could be more, you know, but, you know, it doesn't seem like we're getting much better. How are your feelings about the prospects of people eventually kind of getting it and thinking through these trade-offs you're discussing? Yeah, I don't want to make any broad sweeping generalizations about industry in that regard. It's hard to say because, you know, we're going through this deep and severe bear market and that kind of clouds perception of existing business security practices. So the honest answer is I don't know. Look, I mean, there's more and more security practitioners gaining more and more experience in Web3. And I think, you know, we're, you know, things like the rec test. Like, you know, we're establishing, you know, industry standard expectations. Like yep. now we have the rec test. I would sincerely hope that an angel investor or a VC evaluating a startup would say, yo, startup co-founders, I got this rec test here from Trail of Bits. You guys, uh, you gals doing this stuff? Yep. 
you know, like that's a step totally. forward right there, right? So, yeah. so I think you know, even though there's still a large population of companies and startups with bad security who are going to regret it. I think, you know, we're beginning to establish common sense guardrails and expectations in industry like the rec test. And, you know, I mean, sometimes it's two steps, two steps forward, one step back. But I see things like this as a positive development in our industry. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, maybe two last questions for you here, JM. First question is just kind of a, a recurring one I like to ask on the podcast. And it's, you know, often for kind of a variety of different folks, whether they're founders or builders. I'm curious for you specifically, as you kind of reflect on your work as a CISO, like if you could kind of, you know, say you get a time machine, you can go back and kind of tell your earlier self any bits of wisdom, what would advice would you want to impart to that earlier self about buy, buy Bitcoin? <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> Same. Uh, I joke, but but security wise, yeah, security wise. Oh, nothing I can think of that I can talk about. Okay, cool. Jam. Last question here. You know what's on your mind these days as you're thinking about, you know, what's on your mind as you're thinking through what progressing and evolving with the space looks like and for you personally like what's the best way for people to kind of follow along on your journey as a CISO kind of leading leading kind of some thinking in the web3 space well look i think that you know security in the web3 space is so more extreme than in the web2 space that it's still kind of uh, a bit of a wild west a bit of a frontier like we've been doing cybersecurity in web2 for oh almost 20 years now and it's not perfect but there's well-established norms. We are served by a wide variety of competing security vendors. And like, if your concern is the security of PII to meet regulatory requirements, there is a mature, very mature and highly competitive industry of security vendors who want your money. But the conversation I have with my security vendors, not all, but like 80% of my security vendors is your Web 2 security product doesn't help me in Web 3. And so, you know, what that means to me is that, you know, we are still very early days in terms of of developing truly mature enterprise Web 3.0 security. And while it is very stressful and my anxiety levels can be quite high, it's also a good deal of fun because, you know, man, I get to play for keeps against an actual foreign nation state. Yep. Most of my colleagues don't have that privilege. So, you know, like it's real, man. When I go to work, I I play for keeps. I play for real. Like this is the real deal. Like this is not training wheels time. This is the real deal. And I find that enormously satisfying as a security leader and a security profession. Love it. Naturally, I have to be very cautious about things I share publicly. And of course, I don't speak officially here for Ava Labs, but I do sometimes blog about this on my Substack or on Twitter. Perfect. Jam, thank you so much for the time. I know we could keep talking for a long time, but this is, uh, I think, it's a great kind of place to cap. Thank you for coming on the show, and I hope the rest of your week is great. It's been a lot of fun, Tanner. Thank you so much for inviting me. All right. Bye-bye. Great.